Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Todd Micah. I'm the author of uh, Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, and the Grimgard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar until now. We just finished uh, wrapping up our viewing of the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender, the series. And we have concluded it by watching The Last Airbender, the movie. You and thought for... that we were over after season one? Yeah. <laughs> I was somehow hoping that maybe I would sneak by this challenge and just move on to season two. Um, but no, but no. My accountability it's a partner passage here. For... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is my hazing into the fandom. Is that what it is? Yep. Oh yeah. yeah, it's a rite of passage for any fan of Avatar that you have to sludge through this movie <laughs> to understand I, I just how good the show is comparatively. <laughs> you know what? I really do have a much better appreciation, which is kind of like saying you have an appreciation for air after almost suffocating. So yeah, I have right. a much better appreciation <laughs> for the show now. So yeah, so I, I, I sat down and I rented the movie on YouTube and uh you could have just watched it on hbo max for free <laughs> I, I i didn't i didn't have it i didn't have it and i had already oh, rented I it by the did. time you told me I, so i mean i would have signed up for a free trial of hbo max before i knew i was going to spend three i could i could have bought like a six-piece chicken nuggets and a drink for this but instead i watched this movie <laughs> oh, oh, so 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 let's let's get into it because all right uh so this is so am i correct by the way that this movie title didn't even include the word avatar is it just called the last airbender yes actually that was um not on my fun fact list but that was a fun fact that i came across was that originally it was going to be avatar the last airbender just like the show but this movie came out the same year as another avatar movie you might have heard of it a little james cameron flick I mean, I know it's kind of under the radar, but never saw uh, it. So. Yeah. yeah, I know. It, it, not a lot of people did. It's fine. But they actually copyrighted the word avatar for, I guess, the year. What? <laughs> I love that bit we just did. Yeah, I don't, what? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I didn't read it all because it was like a big, long blurb. But it sounds like they copyrighted the, the title, not like the word, but the title avatar. So they couldn't, Nickelodeon couldn't use it in the in the movie even though imagine, it was already in the show imagine so. copy imagine copywriting for a year a whole word just we're going to take a word and no one else is allowed to use this word oh man yeah the last I, I was like huh interesting well i mean i think actually that would i would have done that if i was the marketing anyway just because yeah. first of all yeah it wouldn't be good for business if you had two avatar titles you know going up against each other and also it helps to differentiate it from the series you know what i yes. mean so if you say yes. avatar the last airbender people know what you're talking about if you say the last airbender people will still know what you're talking about well i'm glad it is so, the last i think that it, there wasn't another one after this one so the fact it's the last oh, there was yeah there was going to be they were going to do a trilogy just oh, like the, the series is three seasons but yeah you'll see why in a minute <laughs> oh boy i saw i pass. saw why for like 120 minutes yeah <laughs> yikes uh the last airbender let's just get into some stats on it it is written and directed by none other than the illustrious m night Shyamalan. 
I love him. I'm going to be honest. Like, what what are your opinions on Shyamalan as a person or a director or anything? I think he does perfectly well in the movies that he makes. I think that he has kind of a 50-50 hit or miss with his movies. Um, some oh, of them sure. are okay. Some of them are lousy. Some of them are pretty good. Some of them are meh. Like, but it's just, it's just kind of pick or choose. Like, you know, there's no mm-hmm. consistency to them, really. Um, but definitely he... Uh, he wasn't supposed to do this movie. I, I don't know. No, <laughs> no, I, no, no. I, he wasn't supposed to do this one. Um, yeah, I, I, there, there are so many problems with the movie, though, that I really don't think that you can, you know, attribute it to one person's fault, really. <laughs> Except the script. Oh, no. Uh, so, I mean, there's, but there's more <laughs> right. people. There's more people than, than Mr. Shyamalan involved here. Uh, it was produced by Nickelodeon Movies and distributed by Paramount Pictures. Now, I've read some critique that they're like, oh, well, it was Nickelodeon Movies and, like, of course, it's it's a Nick movie. What do you expect? And I'm like, I have seen some pretty decent Nick movies, okay? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I saw Snow Day, and Snow Day was a good movie. <laughs> SpongeBob the movie. <laughs> right? You know, instant classic. Uh, the movie premiered on June 30th, 2010 i was there <laughs> pre avengers world so like i mean the stakes from movie quality really the goalposts got moved after this movie you know and here's the crazy thing like 2010 was a banging year for movies some of my favorite movies of all time came out in 2010 you had freaking how to train your dragon tangled mega mind scott pilgrim versus the world the social network this was a great year for movies but then you had this and Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the lightning thief, dear God. <laughs> Perfectly balanced as all things should be. <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, wow, what a, like, overall, it was a great year. But man, there were some real stinkers in 2010 that just, like, brought down, you know, the year as a whole. But, like, seriously, some of my favorite movies of all time were released that year. And overall, I loved it. But, yeah, and I, as I said, I was in the theater when this movie came out and I saw it with my grandma because <laughs> we were both big fans of the show. Um, and I literally, this movie, like this was like an abusive relationship. I had the phantom menace syndrome. <laughs> literally. Oh, no. I convinced myself that it was good because I wanted it to be good. <laughs> literally. This was my phantom menace. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I was hyping it up and I was like getting all my friends super excited for it that were into Avatar. And then I saw it and I was like, it was really good. I liked it. Um, it was fun. And the bending was so cool in live action. Like, oh, no. like it was holding a gun to my head. <laughs> and now as I'm old, I'm like, oh, Jesus. I was like in an abusive relationship with this movie. <laughs> you were so naive oh, and vulnerable back then. I'm so I, glad you've grown as a person and established firm boundaries between yourself and the media that you intake. <laughs> right. A little 12-year-old oh. innocent self didn't know what to do with the movie. It was so bad. <laughs> The safe word for watching this movie is ung. You can turn it off at any time. (laughs) Right. Uh, The budget of this blockbuster movie was $150 million. And the worldwide box office was (laughs) $309.7 million. Wowie zowie. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, That is why there was not a sequel or a threequel. (laughs) Yeah. Just, and that that's not even including that 150 million that was just for production 
I think I read that there was like a hundred and thirty million that was put towards like advertising. So oh, like the movie did barely even made its money back. Like there was no profit. So like they, yeah, they were they, able to they were much, marketing this like crazy. Yeah, they were pretty much able to like buy buy you know commemorative avatar t-shirts and action figures and bobbleheads for like all the staff that worked on it and that's it. <laughs> yep. Way to go guys. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. This is my favorite part because this is the only of all of the movie stats and fun facts and everything. This I've read before I hit the play button on this on this thing. <laughs> that it was four out of ten on IMDB. It has a rating of this is my favorite one, five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and a twenty percent on Metacritic. Clearly, clearly the the, the defining film of a generation clearly for better or for worse <laughs> and you know it's funny as i was looking up those and i was like uh, as i was writing the script today and i was looking up all these scores um i don't agree with any of them I'm gonna be honest like i i think that you're either giving it too much credit or not enough <laughs> as a movie like literally i don't agree with any of those scores like yeah four out of ten seems too much to me like but five percent seems I too reading... brutal yeah the five percent to me seems too too brutal and then the twenty percent also seems too brutal like well, 20, I would well, give... the twenty percent is well we'll get to our ratings we'll get to our ratings after yeah. we've oh after right we've, we've got forgot that we do that at the end the way you you really thought that you would get out of having to go over this movie beat by beat you don't you don't get to do that we've only been on you air for like fifteen minutes here you don't you don't get to just get out that easily what do you think okay okay i had to watch this movie uh, for two hours you have to talk about it for one okay <laughs> yeah that, that's fair um i know so that we have these a couple are, fun facts i know that these are traumatic childhood memories i know that they bring back a lot of unpleasant things from probably a rough time there was afterward <laughs> it's okay we'll get through this together yes Amanda. we're gonna do it all right well before we actually get into the movie we got some fun facts and there were so many fun facts about this movie and maybe not so fun facts but <laughs> can you just talk about fun facts for an hour <laughs> seriously it honestly would probably be more interesting <laughs> the, this movie is such a mess both on camera and off mm -hmm. um so our first fun fact is that this movie won the golden raspberry award of the year for the worst picture so it won the the Cooling Grand, the big prize of the Razzies. That's the worst wow. movie of that year. Um, you know, rightfully so. It, it totally deserved it. <laughs> um, yep. And then our second fun fact is that Noah Ringer, who is a black belt in Taekwondo, submitted an audition tape of himself doing martial arts with a completely shaven head and Aang's signature arrow tattooed on his forehead. That audition is what got him the role of Aang. So he actually was this little... I think he was 12 or 13 at the time that he got the role. Um, he was already a black belt in karate in Taekwondo. So like, it's cool that, you know, he had that. And, you know, I've just right now, I'm going to say, I've seen behind the scenes videos of Noah Ringer when he was doing the actual filming, like during production. And when he's off camera, he is like ang embodied. This kid is Aang. Like, he is so... Even the way he talks sounds like Aang. Not when he's in the movie, but, like, just his yeah. normal voice. Um, he, like, 
was running around on a skateboard, kind of like, you know, and glider. And he was just so like excited and bubbly and full of energy. And I'm like, where the fuck was all this in the movie? Did we have an Anakin Skywalker moment where he's like, it's all M. Night Shyamalan's fault. He's holding me back. <laughs> Literally, that's <laughs> what it was. I'm like, you didn't have to direct this kid at all. Just put the camera on him off, you know, the set. And that's Aang. Like, it's crazy. Mm. And he was so excited about the role. And I, you know, when people talk bad about the actors, I mean, for sure, like, they're not good. But... I think that Noah Ringer and Dev Patel um, were the two that like, I could see them if they ever were to like, you know, go back in time and fix the timeline where we had an actual good director and writer on the movie, I would cast them because I know that they could do it if they had the right direction. Um, so, you know, I'm just <laughs> playing devil's advocate here, but yeah, no, I think that Noah Ringer could have been really good, but he was just held back by bad direction. Um, I also, I also love the fact that you described him as having doing his audition tape with the arrow tattooed on his head is the word you used, and I'm like, man, that is dedication. Yeah, that is dedication yeah, no, to your role. <laughs> he painted the tattoo on his head. There you go. I I also, he did not this twelve year old tattooed himself. I heard that Ray Park was so dedicated to getting the role of Darth Maul that he actually got tattoos for his audition tape of the face tattoos save them Grew a lot of horns and everything yeah like the man was dedicated method acting oh man start him young anyway Hayden um, Christian actually set himself on fire for the role of Darth Vader and they thought he killed it so he was in heavy oh makeup goodness. the entire production oh man um so for our third fun fact this one this one shook me um, Zach Efron auditioned for the part of Sokka and M. Night Shyamalan actually offered him the role, but he had to turn it down because he had scheduling conflicts. And I'm going to be honest, I totally could see that being a casting choice. Like, I think Zach Efron has always played the straight man in any like crazy, like think about him in high school musical. Okay. Troy Bolton, love of my life. Yeah. He is the straight man to this crazy musical world that he's in with these crazy colorful characters. And he's the one that was always like the voice of reason, like the straight man to this craziness. Right. That's what Sokka is. Sokka's the straight man. He's the comedic relief, but he's also the realist, the straight man of the group. Um, that is just like so overwhelmed by this crazy bending world and these benders that he's around and like, you know, he's so sarcastic and sardonic and you're just like, I could so see Zac Efron playing that. <laughs> like, I kind of wish I want to see that version of Sokka. You know what the best part is? I just pulled up Zac Efron's IMDb. He wasn't particularly busy that year. I wonder if his agent was just like, don't do it, man. Don't do it. <laughs> He he wasn't doing anything. Yeah. He was an entourage. Uh, he was an entourage. The TV series Entourage the year before. Uh, Charlie mm -hmm. St. Cloud was released like that year too. He he did nothing else but voice Anakin Skywalker in Robot Chicken that year, <laughs> yeah. and he didn't even do anything else. I think didn't he do the Darth Matt sketch? I think. Oh my I gosh! Think I, I think you're that. right. But he didn't do anything Matt. at all that year. So, yeah. So, Zach, if you're listening, um, fess up. Did, did your agent literally, like, elbow <laughs> you? Like, don't do it, man. I got a feeling about this one. You're not going to get paid when the movie is over. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it would have maybe... Maybe more people would have showed up, honestly. Because Zach Efron was, like, the biggest star at that time. You know, he was That's coming true. off High School Musical and, you know, 17 again. And so many big hits that, like... 
I feel like he would have been able to bring in more people because like he was a big, you know, child yeah. star name. And so maybe the movie would have made a little bit more money. I don't know. But I definitely know that he probably would have been better than Jackson Rathbone, who I love. He's great, especially as Jasper in Twilight. Fun fact, he's Jasper in Twilight. <laughs> I knew I I've seen him in other him. things. I didn't recognize him. But when you say that, it immediately clicked. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, just imagine okay. him in a blonde wig. <laughs> yeah, I like took yeah. his hair off mentally and put other hair on him. And like, oh, makes right. perfect sense. And yet another fun fact about one of the actors, uh, actress Sachelle Gabriel, who plays Princess Yue in the movie, later provided the voice of Asami Sato in Avatar's animated sequel series, The Legend of Korra. So oh. this was crazy for me when I figured this out, because Asami Sato is one of the main characters of Legend of Korra. She's like one of the main group members. Um, yeah. And so Sachelle Gabriel, we even said this, not to get too far ahead, but like, she's probably the best part of the movie. Like... <laughs> Princess Yue is one of the best parts of the movie. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, Mike and Brian realized that when the movie came out and they plucked her, literally were like, okay, you're the one good thing in this. We're going to put you in Legend of Korra. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's paid off, kid. Way to go. Um, but yeah, so like, I love her. I think she's so beautiful, so talented. And, you know, obviously no one's giving 110% performance in this movie, but I think she definitely gives one of the best performances um, so I'm glad that she got her dues later in Legend of Korra um, and got to play a really cool character. And then finally, this is this is a bit of a long one, so bear with me, guys. Um, this is a big quote. In a podcast interview from 2014, co-creator Brian Konitzko revealed that, A, this is in quotes, A, we didn't want it to be done at all. Before anyone was attached, we didn't want it. And then B, if it was going to be done, we wanted it or we wanted to do it, but they weren't going to let us. I'm assuming that's Nickelodeon wasn't going to let them. Um, and C, when they attached Knight, we just thought, well, this is what we've been dealt. We're just here to offer help when it's asked of us. And if it's not, we'll stay out of the way. So that kind of sums up the whole, like, you know, how that's, they felt about the movie and the production. It's <laughs> kind of sad. I got to say, it's kind, it's, it's kind of a sad, sad quote there that, like, I mean, yeah, of course, they didn't want to be done at all. But then to the resolution that the creators of the show had when, like, they were so hands-on with this. This is their baby, um, as we talked oh, yeah. about in the, you know, earlier in this podcast series. And for them to just say, well, we'll offer help if it's asked. If not, we'll stay out of the way. Like, wow. Ouch, guys. Yeah. Brian, I feel you, man. Like, <laughs> right? Being a creative is really hard, especially if you're so attached to your work. Um, yeah. But, um, and it's even sadder in hindsight, this quote, because as you know, I've, I've been telling you about this. Uh, Netflix is currently doing a live action adaptation of Avatar, like a show, not a movie. Right. Um, and originally when it was first announced back in 2019, 2018, I can't remember, Brian Konitzko and Michael Dante DiMartino, they were signed on to help produce it like they were going to be actively involved mm -hmm. with this live action uh remake of the show but in 2020 this was like just one of those just bombs that dropped of course right in the middle of 2020 when all this shit's going down and to top it all off <laughs> brian I, I can't remember if it was brian or mike but one of them posted on instagram that they had left the uh the live action netflix series due to creative differences so that sent a lot of us Avatar fans into panic mode, like, oh my God, this has happened before. Like, this can't happen again. <laughs> like, 
to be fair though, I, I have more confidence in the Netflix series than I think the average fan does. I've been following it very closely. Um, I've been following the cast and just any production photos or info I can get a hold of, which I've gotten a little bit. Um, and it sounds like, you know, they're putting a ton of money, a ton of effort into it, but it does give me pause when the creators leave because of creative differences and obviously already being burned before by a live action, not series, but movie. I'm like, oh, I don't want to get too excited for it. But like at the same time, like I really want to hope that this is going to be not the same deal as before. Like I want it to be really the, the good news is, is that now I and all the podcast listeners know from thanks to your confessional about what happened in 2010, we all know the signs. So she comes back from watching the right. Netflix series, everyone, and she goes, the bed that the bending was real looked really cool. We we know right? she's it's happening again. Back to therapy, Amanda. Oh gosh. <laughs> please, I can't. Avatar gods, if you can hear me, please let it be good. I can't take any more. <laughs> Bring her to the spirit world. Let the spirits of the moon and the sea help us. We need your help. Right. <laughs> oh, She's I offering a little you. bit of her life force. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, that's the end of our uh, fun facts. So now we have just, to talk about the it. movie, which is already <laughs> giving me flashbacks at this point. I think the most optimistic thought I had about it was that I was actually really surprised. As always, I did no research before going in. I rented it. I didn't even check to see if it was available for free anywhere. And then I just dove right into the movie. And my first thought was, as I was going along, is, oh, hey, it's Dev Patel. I know him. What's doing in this movie? Dev, get out. Get out while you still can. You're not Zuko, are <laughs> right. you? You're a bit player. Like, you die earlier in the movie, right? Nope. He's there the whole time. He even says it. He even stands in the middle of the water tribe and just goes, I am Prince Zuko. <laughs> right? That's my secret cap. I'm always Prince Zuko. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, man. He's such a good actor, but just, ugh. What did what did you do at night to him? <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, so talented, and he's been in so many good roles, and like, but this was not it. <laughs> I mean, let's give him credit, though, where credit's due. He really did. It really was a case. You could see it. It was a case of a, a talented actor doing the absolute best he could with what he was given. <laughs> shit. I, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, he really, like, the emotion he put into all of the lines, as bad as they were, was very real. Like, he really brought out a good performance. So I can't fault Dev at all for anything in this movie. Like, he did the absolute best that he could. Yeah. Uh, the visual effects of this movie, I have to say, are kind of hit and miss. Because while the mm -hmm. movie is overall, we're going, to, we're going to compliment this and get this compliment out of the way first, the movie is visually stunning. It is spectacular. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish that if I had to suffer through this movie once, I would have suffered through it on the big screen, where I could at least really, truly appreciate the amazing <laughs> visuals. I mean, I think the most striking right. visual to me is like those huge dark red bannered fire nation ships there out of the blue sea with like the sun behind them and everything like they are mm -hmm. incredible spectacle shots like oh yeah i mean movie had one or what was it 150 million so i hope it would look good <laughs> like you know the locations and the um the clothes not the clothes but the costumes and even some of the visual effects they are all look great like you yeah. know they look 
very similar to the show. You know, they kind of capture the spirit and, you know, that's all great, but like, that's just window dressing. Like that's not, you know, it's great to look at, but it's not the most important thing. And I think that's where the movie really falters, but yes, the, in the end you're taking, you know, garbage and just spraying perfume on it. So like, you know, (laughs) it's just masking the problem. Um, but right. to, to complement the movie in another huge way, though, uh, part of condensing the series into a movie format meant they needed to clean up some plot points. They needed to trim off certain things. The events, obviously, of episodes like the uh, King of Omashu and the Fortune Teller mm-hmm. episode, the things that don't directly move the main story forward, are chopped out. And, you know, rightfully right. so, because how would they fit them in? Um but one of the things I also thought was very good was that I feel like they fixed the whole spirit world episode that we mm. razzed mercilessly. Yeah. Um, I feel like they fixed it because instead of making his whole journey in the spirit world, this weird, arbitrary, confusing thing that on its first introduction seems just kind of, kind of, kind of shoehorned in for sake of moving the plot forward with no better way to do it giving them information they'd never have and showing them things they'd never reasonably know instead they just pretty much made it that oh well he's just able to meditate and enter the spirit world easy as that he's the avatar he has the ability to close his eyes fall into a trance and enter the spirit world easy one and done i i thought it's like supremely fixed the sort of vagueness of how him entering the spirit world originally happened in the series and i thought it actually made for a really mm-hmm. compelling story point yeah and I mean, they they do that in the actual show. Um, I can't remember which one it is, the Siege of the North part one or part two, but when Aang is like meditating in front of, you know, Twee and Law, the, the moon and the ocean spirit, and he's trying to like get into the spirit world to talk to one of the spirits, you know, he does, he does that exact thing where he, you know, meditates and he's able to go into the spirit world and, mm-hmm. you know, explore it. So it's like why did you make it so complicated the first time around when it was the spirit world part one and two when this just makes a lot more sense and is much more cohesive <laughs> like, yeah exactly um so yeah i'm glad that they cut all that too because when we we talked about it, it's it's useless <laughs> i feel like we ought to jump right to one of the biggest problems in the movie which is just the bending which... in general I mean, I wouldn't say that the bending is the worst thing in the movie, but it definitely is awful. It's, it's one of the most <laughs> noticeable problems in the movie. But I, I, I also didn't like the way they changed some of the bending. I didn't like the fact that all the Fire Nation soldiers basically couldn't bend except for like, there was like one guy in every squad of soldiers that knew how to fire bend. I love where Uncle Iroh's got all the fire coming out of his hands. And the fire soldiers are like, oh no fire Mm -hmm. what do we how do we control this (laughs) yeah it's you know and i mean i've mentioned this before when we when we are watching it together but that is the whole reason that the fire nation is so terrifying and was able to conquer the world practically and wipe out the air nomads is because they are able to create fire from their chi. Like they don't need a source. They create it themselves, which makes them far more dangerous. They, in the movie, for clarification of anybody who either has blanked this out or hasn't seen the movie, only the series, in the movie, they need a source of fire 
in order to pull the fire out of it. They need torches, they need lanterns filled with fire, and they make the whole concept of, of being able to use fire, create fire from your own chi, a very unique ability that only certain people like Zuko and Iroh have. Yeah, it, if that was a, originally part of the show, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, it wouldn't make a lot of sense, but at least it would be authentic to the show, but it's not. Like, firebending, they make it very clear that you can create your own fire, and that is why they are so dangerous. And fire is such a fickle element. Like, it's not a solid thing like water or earth, um, but it's also not as readily available as, like, so, say, air. Um, you know, in the movie, the biggest like enemy of a firebender is a gust of wind because they could just wipe out the fire like or like a splash of water put out the source of fire and boom you're powerless yeah and i'm like that makes no sense <laughs> why why movie um yeah it's just it's ridiculous it's such a weird change like i don't understand why they did it like like i get certain changes like you know changing source material and all that but like this is not it. This is not one of those changes that I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense within the context of the movie. No, yeah. it makes no sense. So yeah, there's a lot uh, of these movies that just kind of happen for like no reason, just other than the fact they have to happen. I like how they bring. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I have to say his name correctly for the sake of the movie. They bring Oong out of the out of the iceberg, and he's in this like ball. And the, the first thing Katara does is just run up to the thing for no particular reason, just be like, look, it's a boy in the ice, and just whack the thing open. She doesn't even break it with mm -hmm. her water bending. She doesn't shatter the iceberg like she did in the show. She just cracks it with an ice pick, the, the ice axe or mm -hmm. whatever it is, the, the ice axe orang or whatever it is. Does, does mm -hmm. Sokka do that in the show? Does Is it a boomerang? Does he throw it? It's a boomerang? No, There's he a... has a, it's like a club almost. And like, he's trying to drag Katara away from it because it's, he thinks it's dangerous. He thinks it's the Fire yeah. Nation. And she grabs the club from his like pouch or whatever. And she starts whacking it and it breaks open. Um, but yeah, no, I, I can't remember what the name of the weapon is. It's, I mean, I think it's supposed to be his boomerang is what she breaks it open with. But like, yeah. it's a giant boomerang. So I'm like, that doesn't really look like it. But I think that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, they definitely changed the circumstance of that iconic scene of, you know, Aang first appearing in the show. Um, hey, they definitely Oong. changed it up. And I, again, I remember, oh, I'm sorry. Technically it's Ong. <laughs> like if we're going to be specific, like, <laughs> it's Ong, it's Soka, it's I, or no, what, what do you say? Iro. 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 And I'm like, why, why are you doing this? <laughs> I know you're trying to be like Ong. authentic to like, Ong. yeah, I'm like, it's just stop <laughs> it's not and you know what else is another major major sin of this movie what's that is that there's no there's no cabbage man there's not a single oh. cabbage man in this entire <laughs> movie oh god damn it i should have seen that coming right? <laughs> this is literally you and i with mephisto this isn't a cabbage bending <laughs> joke this is just the fact that they left out like something that is iconic in the series which is the easter egg of the cabbage man he's not in there at all yep. there's not even like a cabbage not sitting even in the like, foreground somewhere not even like in the background of the earth kingdom village that they help or anything <laughs> right like, right oh. yeah no r.i.p cabbage man <laughs> And like I kind of understand it in context of the movie, so I don't want to say I'm defending it because I didn't like it either. I don't like that 
that that Ong is so <laughs> moody and unhappy in this movie. He's he, there's so much angst in this child. Where is our carefree Ang from the series? I think we only really saw a glimpse of that when he returned to the Southern Air Temple before he found the skeletons. Um, like that was probably the closest that we got to like actual show Aang, like being accurate yeah. to the show. Um, Cause like, you know, he was just like bouncing around and he was like playing with Momo, you know, his little lemur yeah. and it was cute. I was like, okay, this is, I can see Aang in this like one minute. <laughs> so yeah. before he goes back to being really sad and depressed cause he finds, you know, his dead mentor. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just, everybody, everybody's characterization is so butchered. You know, you've got Aang, who is, like, needlessly stoic and mopey and just, like, just super s stiff. It very much did remind me of Anakin. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, like, young, young Anakin. Um, and, you know, Sokka also, who is the comedic relief, the sarcastic comedic relief, not a single joke cracked. I can't think of a single joke, okay, at least not see, an intentional okay. joke. So, so I'm going to flash us back to something that I said at the very, very start of the series uh, in episode one of the podcast where I watched episodes one and two, and I gave a lot of commentary on my first initial thoughts of the characters, how they struck me, if my first impressions of them were right, um, and things I appreciated about them because they broke some of the stereotypical characterizations, some of the, the uh, archetypes that you expect these characters to fall into. And one of the big things I said was how much I appreciated, and you did too, that Sokka is not just the butt of jokes. He, he has a gracefulness to him, he has a humility to him, where he understands what he does wrong when he does something, either trying to be funny or trying to be smart, and it backfires on him. And then he always has a quip afterward being like, yeah, I deserved that. Or, yeah, I could probably stand and prove myself, basically in that line. But he's also valorous, and he's responsible, and he's smart. The Sokka in the movie is none of those good qualities. He exists to be the butt of the jokes. He's the dopey older brother who's like a wimp and a scaredy cat, and like that's all he is. Which also, I might say, it's also very strange. Sokka and Katara are kind of not in the movie. They're there. Oh, I know. I actually noticed that on this most recent rewatch. I was like, huh. Like, literally, Katara's kind of the heart and soul of the entire show. She's the narrator. And yet, she is, like, not in the movie. She's not a presence at all. <laughs> it's really distracting. They're almost there out of obligation because they're there to let him out of the iceberg. But for the rest of the movie, except for the scene where Katara is guarding him against Zuko, they're really not necessary. They're just set dressing because they don't do anything. They don't have any meaningful development with him. They're just kind of his sidekicks, these generic people who live in the regular world. And, and Ong, Ong whatever he is, is like yeah. the main character to the exclusion of the others. They're not a team. It's just him. Yeah, it's it's so weird how dirty they did pretty much every character, especially the main ones. Um, honestly, I feel like the side characters got more development and more to do than the main ones. Like Iroh, I actually really liked the actor for Iroh. Um, Me too. I think I actually wrote it down. Sean Tube, Tobe? 
Um, I really like, it's a totally different take on Uncle Iroh than what the show is, but I think it works. It's more of the classic, you know, calm, wise mentor, but like he's super nice, even though he's from the Fire Nation, which is like nice to see. Um, and, you know, I obviously, like I said, I love Sasha Gabriel's take on UA. I love that they cut the entire, I told you about this, they cut the entire engagement plot line from, mm -hmm. you know, Winter Soldier part one and two, which I hated. That was the one part of the, of the finale that I'm like, ugh. I don't like this. This could have been cut entirely and you'd lose nothing. Um, just unnecessary drama. And they actually do that, which I think yeah. helps the character and, you know, all that. Um, so it's just weird that they just are so uninterested in their lead characters who are so complex and deep and like, you know, in the show, not in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's ridiculous. Well, I remember the comment that I made to you actually when the whole thing was done and over with. And I was like, how did I watch a movie where every main character was a secondary character in the movie? Because here's the problem that I think happened in the, in the film. Why the film feels so impersonal is because it is impersonal. They were The movie is so concerned with explaining the story points that in the end, all of the characters are just mouthpieces to explain to the audience what's happening and why they are where they are. To the point that Katara, who halfway through the movie, I forgot who she was, like that she's there for some of it just giving narration there's just voiceovers and so we we trained in southern air temple <laughs> like right. we know see it on the screen yeah Why yeah yeah well that was the other thing too the narration wasn't even necessary they were just but it made me so conscious of the fact that they were using the characters just as mouthpieces that they were showing things and she's explaining them and i'm like yeah i can see i can see what's happening and and you could easily explain it with like a line of dialogue and not like 30 seconds of narration i don't mm -hmm. need it like yeah Ugh, it's so bad oh i didn't even mention when we were talking about side characters we had a whole thing about this commander zhao or admiral zhao because <laughs> um, we were saying while we were watching you said why is zhao like the main villain he is <laughs> the main villain but he's also the main character of the movie because ong doesn't really have a story arc he has a i'm afraid to be the avatar but he still does everything he would do if he wasn't afraid so he's he has no real character development and at right. the end i still don't know if he if he bowed to everybody they kind of left it this weird cliffhanger and i don't know what that was supposed to mean so whatever but like um, but general Zhao was the only person who had a who had a story arc and he was the character who we saw the most on screen we had what we watched him as he as he formed his plan uh, for capturing the avatar we watched him you know with his rivalry against zuko we had lots of cutaways to him talking in person in person to the fire lord we got all of his backstory about going to the temple and, and and searching through the scrolls in the library or wherever they were he formulated all these plans he was the main villain like the guy had an amazing arc i guess i guess Zhao was the last airbender because the whole movie's about him basically <laughs> Did you do you recognize who the actor is for Zhao? I didn't. I didn't actually. I now I feel bad because I didn't. Oh wait, wait, no, I did write it down. Asif Mandvi. I'm so sorry that <laughs> that was total butcher. But he is Mr. Aziz in Spider-Man Two. 
Go. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. I always remember that. <laughs> it's a bit where he's literally in like a minute of the movie, but he made it count. I it's love so that. Funny. Scene. Yeah, I love actors that can do that. They just like are in a in a movie for a minute or for a cameo, but like you always remember it, and that's one of those that I always think, "Go." <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah getting into more of the plot of the movie there were a lot of things i just hated on like the story points especially the ones that contradict themselves immediately like one of my favorites i pointed out to you was um they save the earth village and they're like they took away any of the tools that were related to bending and then literally 10 seconds later oh look a scroll for water bending it's like uh, that's a tool for bending there buddy <laughs> Well, okay, so this was actually something I was amazed that you didn't mention. Okay. So they have basically a little mini, not mini scene, but they have a scene which is basically a condensed version of the Imprisoned episode where we meet Haru and his father and they're like on this barge in the middle of the ocean where they can't bend, they're on a metal ship. And so like we have a version of that in the movie of that whole episode but it's condensed into like five Minus minutes the really cool like mining facility which is still like the best location good job oh guys. i know i know you love that mining location which i think is really funny but it's the fact that they are literally they even point it out they are surrounded by earth they are literally in the forest surrounded by earth and there is nothing stopping them from taking down the very few Fire Nation soldiers that there are guarding them. And they make a point to say that. And I'm like, that doesn't make it okay, movie. Like, this this is one of the few locations I'm like, really? You couldn't just build a barge set? Like, really? You just filmed in a forest that you found like while location scouting? Like, Amanda, did you really want the filmmakers to put themselves further in the hole? Can you imagine how much money it would have cost to build or rent like a, like an oil rig to like use for this? Uh, well, it because I mean, this is one of the like one of the scenes that is most mocked because it's so ridiculous and the bending is awful and oh, the, it's terrible. This, it takes six people to lift one stone, and I'm like, and it like drifts real slow, like a kite, like through the air, and I'm just like, <laughs> literally, you haven't gotten, we haven't gotten to Toph yet, but good god, you are going to be like shitting yourself with how creative and how much she was able to do with her bending. And it just makes this look like preschool. It is so bad. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Because we've only seen a little bit of earthbending. You know, we've seen Haru and we've seen uh, King Boomy. But when we get to Toph, man, it's game changer time. Like, <laughs> it is <laughs> you're just like, wow. When you compare it, it's Oh, bad. Speaking oh, of things they also pull their punches on in the movie, um, the literal pulling of the punches in the fight scenes where there's just uh, the extras are standing around in the background while people are fighting. Yes, the big long take. Uh, are you talking about the Blue Spirit one or the. Oh, anywhere. I mean, look, there's literally fight scenes where, like, everyone except the people within 10 feet of the camera are just standing there, just watching. Oh, yeah. They're not doing anything. They're all waiting for their cue. It's so bad. Just I see why M. Night Shyamalan, I'm sorry, why he's not known for like all his action movies because he does not direct the action very well in this. If there is a movie mm -hmm. where he directs some big action sequence amazingly well, I may eat half of my words, but it is really <laughs> bad here. 
he is not an action director that I've seen. Um, probably the closest he's gone is something like, you know, Split, Unbreakable, or Glass. Like, those are probably the closest to action movies that he's done. But even then, it's not typical action. Um, but, yeah, I'm sorry. Long takes are so hit or miss, like, doing, you know, continuous long takes. And there are some people that do it so well. Alfonso Cuaron, he's he's one of the best at long takes, I think. Mm. Um, and there are people that try. M. Night really likes a long take, and I'm not sure why, because he cannot do them well. But he tries to no. do one, at least one in every movie, if not multiple. And, yeah, it's really evident in this movie, since they're action long takes, that it just it doesn't work. Like, you have to really sell that and you have to choreograph the shit out of that kind of stuff especially if, yep. if you have a lot of people and when you you know the background just like 50 soldiers just literally standing there while there's 10 fighting our main characters you're like what is happening <laughs> why are they i mean you know why because you're like oh they're just waiting for their cue but like in within the world you're like why are you just standing there do something <laughs> yeah at least look like you're doing something <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's yeah. no bueno. Yeah, they also pulled their punch in a really disappointing way, which is Prince Zuko's uh, scar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, re I remember me, like, getting so upset and messaging you being like, why? Why did they do my boy so dirty with his scar? That's his defining, not only feature, but, like, a story element of his. And the whole scar tells a story. And... They just, it literally looks like he got a bad buzz cut. <laughs> like, there's barely a scar on his face, and then there's, like, a bit of hair missing for where it, like, goes around his ear. And oh. I'm like, it just literally looks like he went to, like, Fresh Cuts and got a bad buzz. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of really rough moments in, 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 the, in the movie. There's, there's just... It's it's hard. It's hard to take at times. And also the visual effects are so goofy because sometimes they look amazing. And then there's um um the bison looks so terrifying. Yes. Like actual <laughs> nightmare fuel. I think you referred to Appa in the live action as your what was it, sleep paralysis demon? <laughs> <laughs> yes. He is. It's terrible. He looks like a monster. Which is weird because I actually think that Momo looks really cute. I don't know if it's just because it's like a completely different design and like maybe it works better for Momo live action, but like I've held lemurs. So like that looked like a real winged lemur to me. Um, and I thought it was really cute. So I don't know why they butchered Appa so bad. Look what how they massacred my boy. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's just some weird, strange choices made during the movie. I think the 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 low point of the whole film for me was when the waterbenders are all getting ready on the wall like it's Lord of the Rings and they're all standing there and all of a sudden he just goes oh <laughs> I'm just yeah. like what is that I watched it three times to make sure I saw that right why 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 did they why was that necessary it was a choice <laughs> <laughs> it, um, yeah, yeah. I something I noticed, and 
I think I noticed this a lot in, cause I, as I said, I write scripts for anybody that doesn't know me. And so I'm constantly paying attention to pacing and dialogue and all that fun stuff. Um, and when I'm watching movies, even though I try not to, but it's so hard sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But something that I noticed, and I think I even noticed as a kid watching it is that for some reason, the dialogue, not only is it terrible, but they like will repeat the same words constantly. And once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. So like, I'm trying to remember what the line is exactly, but like, there's a whole dialogue scene. It's like two minutes long of just going back and forth between Aang, Sokka and Katara. Um, and it's like super urgent. And they're like, oh, you know, we the Fire Nation has taken over all these villages. And, um, and you know, Sokka is explaining something like, oh, my dad told me about these like Earth Kingdom towns and villages. Like we should go vi visit these villages. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, the word <laughs> villages gets used an awful lot, which might be an M. Night Shyamalan reference to his other movie, The Village. Like, I don't know. He's trying to get people to see that one. Yeah. I'm, I wish I had written more down because it was like four or five times I noticed mm -hmm. that oh, there was another one. It was Master Paku. Um, he was like, you know, what is water bending? Water bending is the element of change. Water bending, and he just uses the same over and over again every sentence and i'm like oh yep. my god pick some different words guys seriously yeah I'll, yeah I'll notice it in books uh because i watch i read a lot more books than i watch movies you know this but i'll i'll notice it in books too where like i'll notice that a person's name is being used over and over and over again and i'll be like guys pronouns you can say <laughs> He did this, or she did this, or it. You don't have to keep using the proper names of your characters and your places just to try to cram them into like the person, the reader's brain. Right. Oh, speaking of names, like we've already obviously made fun of the mispronunciations of the characters' names, but did you notice that? I, I wish I looked at the timestamp. I think it's like twenty-five minutes into the movie, maybe thirty at the mm -hmm. most. But when they get to the Southern Air Temple, um, Angatar and Sokka. And one of the first things the Katara says when they land and like Aang's getting super excited to show them, she says, is it okay if you tell me your name? And I'm like, bitch, what? <laughs> I was like, you have flown from the ass end of the world, <laughs> in the, not the north, but the Southern uh, Water Tribe to the Southern Air Temple. Like, and you never once thought to ask this kid his name until you landed. <laughs> what yeah this is not a simple hop and skip away this is like a whole ass trip and it's just maybe, like maybe it was one of those cases where somebody already tells you their name and like you forgot it but you're like really fighting yourself about how to like maybe try to get it out of them in conversation and it doesn't work for a few hours and she finally had to bite the bullet and was like um can you tell me your name again She's like gaslighting him like he didn't tell her before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I caught your name. I, I, I fully, I've totally done that before because I'm horrible with names. So someone will tell me their name. Anybody, forever, this will always be true of me. Tell me your name and if within 60 seconds I have forgotten your name. I don't know who you are anymore. But mm -hmm. like if, I, if we only have that conversation and then I run into you like somewhere in life 10 years later i will remember everything about the interaction i'll probably remember i'll probably remember what you everything you, every word you said i'll remember what you were wearing i'll remember where we were but i won't remember your name 10 seconds later oh, i am great at remembering details about people and even faces but 
names, the second it hits my ear, it's out the window. Like I literally had an interview today and I got the job. Um, and <laughs> this girl for an hour, we, it was a long ass interview and we were talking back and forth. And I learned she lives in Brazil or she was living in Brazil. And like, she's worked for the company for eight months and she's gone through all these. I remember all that. Her name, I I was asked by my second interviewer, so who interviewed him? I'm like, shit, <laughs> like, what was her name? <laughs> I was there for an hour and I didn't remember. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, it's really bad. But I did eventually remember, but I was see, like, I literally I've, 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 see, but I've pulled a Katara before and I've been like, after like maybe a half an hour, I'll be like, by the way, I don't think I caught your name. And they'll be like, oh, I, I, yeah, it's so-and-so. Cause I mean, they'll forgive it if it's been like a, a, a long period of time. They'll be like, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't tell them my name. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they won't remember. <laughs> Just wait long enough. Right. Oh so, boy. Now that we like shit all over it. <laughs> i would love to talk about a couple of the pros because this is something that not a lot of people do talk about when this movie like they love to tear it apart but in my opinion there are things to like about the movie or things that are done relatively well and sometimes yeah. even better than the show i mean for the I mean for the record i i let off with a couple of them of, of how i thought the movie visually looks really really good how some of the casting choices that we talked about how they were good good actors for the roles um and, and like that but you know what are some of your particular pros what do you like about the movie um well this is a universally loved thing about this movie and that's the score um james newton howard who has done so many amazing scores like he's basically everything he touches is gold a personal favorite of mine is atlantis the last empire mm -hmm. um i said last lost empire <laughs> there we go um but uh it's beautiful i actually have it on my phone right now like i listen to i think the score is called flow like water um, and it's gorgeous. I love it so much. And it doesn't sound anything like the music in the show. That's the interesting thing. Like they didn't try to take the music that the track team and Jeremy uh, Zuckerman did for the show and tried to just kind of like make it more cinematic. No, they, this is a completely new score and it's beautiful. You know, I think that um, if I remember correctly, James Newton Howard and uh, M. Night Shyamalan, they've worked together on many movies. Like they're kind of a duo and you know, even movies like Lady in the Water. I hate that movie, but it's got a great soundtrack. So James mm. Newton Howard always delivers. Um, I think everybody can agree that it's a really good soundtrack. Um, I also, as I said, I love uh, the what they did with Princess Yue. Cutting the entire engagement story was great. That's what I would have done if I was writing the script. Um, and this is the, well, there are two scenes that I think, and I mentioned this when we were watching it together, there are two scenes I actually like better in this movie than in the show. Not that the show's bad, but I just think that it was done better. And the first one of that is Princess Yue's death. I think that it was, you know, obviously terrible dialogue aside, if you just cut the dialogue, I think that it's great. Um, you know, it's beautiful. The music is so somber and sad. Uh, her walking into the water and then, you know, just laying down in it and her hair turning back to that natural dark color as, mm -hmm. as the life leaves her. It's so beautiful and so like symbolic. And I wish that they had done that in the show. Like, I think that would have been really cool if when she falls into Sokka's arms, her hair turns back to its natural color and she disappears and turns into the spirit of the moon. Um, so I love all of that. Um, and also the, the second scene that I think I actually like better, and this is, this is going to be controversial. Um, 
<laughs> but I actually prefer the scene of Aang in the giant wave to Koizilla from the finale of um, Winter, uh, not Winter Solstice, uh, the Siege of the North. There we go. Yeah. I think that it is way more in line for Aang's character to, you know, raise this giant wave. He's been holding on to so much guilt and so much trauma over leaving the airbenders in both the mm -hmm. show and the movie. Um, and this is kind of a moment of release for him. And I think that it was beautifully set up. And the best thing is there's no dialogue. That's that's the key. Yes, the script is, the script is gone. There's no dialogue yeah. ruining it. It is all visuals and, it, and the visuals and the music. And they work together so well. Um, one of the best just moments in the entire uh, movie for me is when, you know, before he actually raises this giant wave to get rid of the Fire Nation, there is a flashback that he has in his memory of when the air nomads were still alive and he's just playing, you know, like him, Monkeyazzo and they're training, but they're also being super playful like they are on the show. And again, there's no dialogue. It's just the visuals and the music. And it's probably the closest that the, sh that the movie ever gets to the show, I think in terms of spirit. Um, and then, you know, obviously he, he kind of snaps out of this flashback and he lets go of all that pain. He releases it. He lets it flow like water. And he's able to do this incredible feat of raising the entire ocean and, you know, protecting the Northern Water Tribe, which is not small, it's gigantic, um, all while being, you know, his true pacifist self. You know, he doesn't throw the wave onto the ships or anything. He literally just raises the ocean. And that alone is enough to send the Fire Nation running because that's such a powerful feat of bending that they've probably never seen before. Um, and then he just lets it back down again and the music swells and he goes into the avatar state and it's, it's gorgeous. Like I, yeah. I watch that scene by itself all the time. I think I might have even liked it on YouTube um, just so I can go back to it. Cause uh, the ultimate honor, the, the YouTube, like I don't do that for a lot of videos, but like, I think that it's great visual storytelling. The music is fantastic. Um, it's what I would have done if I were writing, uh, you know, the finale for Avatar. I wouldn't have done the Koizilla. I think that that might be a bit, a step too far for me as a stretch. Um, but I I love that scene. Um, I think it's beautiful. And yeah, I know that you kind of, you tell them what you told yeah. me. As yeah. Mentioning what, yeah. What, so the strange thing about it was when I saw it was that it, it, you may remember that I was, I was kind of baffled by the whole Koizilla thing. Um, right. And the show, because I was like, okay, but he also turns into like a giant glowy Godzilla god creature that just starts stomping the Fire Nation. Like, okay, all right, he, you know, easy there. He went like super Aang three on them, but <laughs> but like, I actually expected in the show to see him pick up a giant wave of water, kind of similar to what he did with the Earth. Uh, and the wind to stop the volcano eruption that, that was going to destroy that city in the fortune teller episode. I expected him to do something like that. Something that was actual bending. That was a triumph of his water bending training, not something that just was him being combining the avatar state with the spirit, the vengeful spirit, the water spirit or whatever it was like, this was actually what I expected to happen on the show. I expected it to be this giant tidal wave of water, but like, then it just scares them away. And in the moment, I thought that was kind of strange because I would have been like, okay, now use the water to push them away. But like, even you explaining it now about him being his pacifist self, I'm like, yeah, actually that 
even makes more sense. It makes even more sense why in the movie he would just raise it to show them the power, but not use it. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, that's beautiful. And it's perfectly in line with his character. Um, I, I love it so much. That scene alone, like, raises maybe a full point, in my opinion, honestly, because it, like I said, those two scenes are better than the original, I feel, um, which are already great scenes by themselves. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think for, uh, we've already talked about the locations, the costumes, the bending effects. Yeah, I think that those are kind of my major pros, which is not a lot, but like I do want to mention them because I always like to play devil's advocate for even really bad movies that I don't yeah. like. Um, I know how much work goes into movies. I've worked on sets, both, you know, small sets and actual, you know, production sets. And there's so many cogs and moving pieces and people working and, you know, I want to make sure to give credit where credit is due. Even if the whole is not good, I think it's important to, you know, spotlight the things that do work about movies or books or shows or whatever, even if, yeah, as a whole, right. it's not great. Because because unless someone is setting out to make a low-budget satire film, filmmakers don't set out to make bad movies. They don't try to make them. They go in there with the intention of them being good. And even if they struggle, I mean, hopefully at the very end, you'd hope that whatever they wind up releasing is something that they feel at least mostly satisfied with. So for a, for a movie to be met with really bad reviews, I mean, I remember seeing an interview, uh, a part of an interview afterward with uh, M. Night, uh, and he was kind of confused. He he was really kind of defensive about the whole thing. He was like, yeah, I don't know what's up with me and the critics. Like, they seem like they're really on me about this. I don't know why it's so badly received here. Um, you know, again, you got to give credit where credit's due. You know, even if the product turned out badly, somebody along the way thought it was okay while they were filming it, while they were putting it together. Good enough, anyway. Um as far as my positives, uh, I mentioned some positives already that I like, but you know, along the way I mentioned also that there was some casting that I thought was really, really good in the movie. Uh, and of course the casting is always something that's going to fall under, you know, skepticism anytime you're remaking anything. I mean, you even don't have to remake, you just depict a character at a different stage of their life or take a character from an old classic and recast them because you need the character back again. And the actor who played them either is either played them 30 or 40 years ago, Ewan McGregor taking on the mantle of Obi-Wan Kenobi, or you have to make a concession because the actor is maybe sadly no longer with us like the voice actor who played uh, uncle iroh or um the, the actor who played dumbledore in the first two harry potter movies who you know had to be replaced because the actor was deceased and it's it's tough and i thought the acting the uh the acting being what it was the actors some of them were really good uh the uncle Iro uh actor was very very good um like you said, Dev Patel did the best he could. He's a very talented actor. Um, and all things considered, I was actually uh, really impressed with the actor who did who did uh, <laughs> Ong. <laughs> what's what's the name again? Noah Ringer? Yes. So, like, I, I'm curious, and I'm just going to ask, so, like, what's Noah Ringer been in? I don't, I didn't recognize the actor. Has he, did his career move on to other things after Avatar? I don't think so. I think that he did like one or two movies like total in his career. And then he just kind of like, I think because of the backlash that the movie got, you know, it was kind of the whole um, um, 
you know, young Anakin situation where a young actor gets bullied basically for giving a performance. The grown Anakin actor too, Hayden Christensen was in a handful of things following Star Wars before he kind of got bullied out of acting too. So unfortunately a very vicious cycle and it was really, really prevalent in the two thousands and the twenty tens. Um but uh, yeah, I don't believe that he was in anything else. And I tried to look to see if he was like, you know, on social media at all or like had any kind of presence. And mm-hmm. I don't, I couldn't find anything. Maybe it's just because I'm not good at social media. But um, yeah, so I don't think he's done anything really. But I would really just like to say you did good, kid. Like I, I would love to see a version of the movie where you got to actually just kind of be yourself and you know, because you have the spirit of Aang. You just kind of sucked it out of you when you were on camera, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, um, no no ringer. If you wind up at any point listening to this, like, we'd love to have you on the podcast if you ever like to join us. Because, like, totally. I kind of like to know the story and, and how you brought all this enthusiasm to the role. And, you know, as we said, you know, off camera, you just embodied the spirit of the character. And, you know, what happened and what feelings did you carry away from it? You know, were you happy that you took part in the project? Like, we'd love to talk to you if you ever feel like reaching out to us on the off chance that he ever did. Like, you know, that would <laughs> right. be awesome. That would be awesome to have him on here. Yeah, I would. Any any of the actors, honestly, I'd love to really get into the mindset of the actors or anybody that worked on the movie. <laughs> Literally, M. Night Shyamalan just comes onto our podcast. <laughs> well, you know... We don't want to uh, talk about The Sixth Sense. We want to talk about The Last Airbender. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's a funny thing because, you know, there's a lot of movies, you know, now kind of kind of moving a little bit away from the in-depth commentary on the, on the, on the specifics of the movie. Um but you know the movie is a movie that is famously bad it's a pop culture icon bad movie and not a lot of movies that don't turn out well um achieve that status they're just kind of lost this movie is now what uh, what year this come out 2010 this movie is 12 years old as of this podcast and it's still when people talk about some of the worst movies some of the biggest letdowns in movie history they bring up this movie and i'm like whoa (laughs) show me show me how the stall where the movie hurt you you know right yeah no honestly and that's kind of the thing where i'm like you know it's but a bad reputation is better than no reputation especially in hollywood so like you know a bad movie especially if it's a fun, bad movie to watch and get like, you know, turn up on. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those are the, I, I love watching bad movies. Like not only just to appreciate them for how bad they are, but like to also, as I said, play devil's advocate and appreciate them for how they work, you know? Yeah. This is definitely one of those movies I've seen way more than I probably should have being a diehard number one fan of Avatar, just because also, you know, I wasn't in an abusive relationship with it. <laughs> um, it was like, it took several watches over several years for me to realize this is not a good movie. Why did I think this was good? Um, I think there are bad adaptations that are so bad that they become, they don't even capture, <clears throat> I think they don't even capture the spirit of the original material. And, you know, one uh, one of those movies that's bad that's so bad and believe me it is incredibly bad um is when they tried adapting dragon ball z for the big screen into dragon ball evolution i've never seen the movie but i know that that's like one of those infamous adaptations like live action adaptations it's it's grotesquely bad (laughs) 
<laughs> so here's the differentiation I'm I'm working toward here, which is that the Dr Dragon Ball Z, when they adapted it, the adaptation was so bad that it was like in a, in, an insult to the source material. It wasn't just interpreted badly, it was mangled. And I feel like, this is my opinion, I feel like for all the faults of this movie and for all of the mistakes and missteps in interpreting uh, and translating uh, Avatar The Last Airbender for the big screen in live action, I feel like a lot of the spirit of the show was still captured in it, where some characters misinterpreted and, and, and changed in ways that fans obviously would like. Yeah, sure. Is a little, you know, tone deaf to certain things? Sure. Were certain things in the sh change not for the better? Of course, yeah. But did the, did it overall, was it really trying to faithfully try to take what was in the show, condense it, edit it, smooth some things out that creatively you could say, well, it's better if the firebenders need a source for their power because then characters like Iroh and 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 Zuko and you know, they they'll be part of this like elite group of firebenders. We'll know that they're better than the rest because firebending is already crazy. So like, let's make sure that they are special because they can make their own fire they still try to capture the general spirit of the show and the epicness of the story. They just made some, made some mistakes along the way. <laughs> you wrecked it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think there's a difference between um, an adaptation that goes so badly that it mangles the source material beyond all recognition. There's very little in Dragon Ball evolution that is anything like the show. Um, yeah. Whereas this, they really genuinely tried. They just missed the mark. Right. Yeah, I think that that's totally accurate and valid. And some people may be like, no, they, they just completely shut the bed with it. They ruined it. Like, yeah. I don't think that that's true. It's awful. But like, it's not. Yeah. You can tell that the people working on it, like they they had a, you know, a place in their heart for the show and they were trying to make it as you know good as they could. You know, I'm sure that the studio interference and, you know, the fact yeah. that they were trying to condense an entire 20 episode season into a less than two hour movie like that's not helping anything no, so they did a remarkable job of condensing the entire plot line into a two-hour movie like it, that part of it's actually quite impressive that's why i'm glad they're not doing a live action movie adaptation that they're you know yeah. netflix is doing a show because that's the way that's the format of the you know the avatar world is it's meant to be a show not a movie otherwise it would have been a movie <laughs> You know, one of the one important thing about this that I can really relate to um, in kind of thinking back on the whole exclusion of the creators of the show from the process, from the production process, and what you were saying, since you mentioned the show again, um, about how uh, are both of the creators out of the production of the Netflix series or just the one? Yep, they both failed. Speaking as a self-published author, one of the reasons why people go into self-publishing is so that they can maintain control of their material. They go into it so that some, it doesn't get handed over to somebody else, doesn't get sold off. The creative rights don't get sold off to somebody else who either the people who get put in charge of it take it a direction that you didn't want it to go or something like this happens where there's an adaptation it gets moved into a different kind of media where your your book gets put into a show or a movie where you've lost all the rights to it and then they can just do whatever they want you're not even consulted 
and, and it's it's the reason why self-publishing has blown up a lot more instead of people being willing to go and get their books published is because they want creative control. They want to see and make sure that something they've poured years of their life into that's their baby, that's the heart and soul of their creative spirit. We, they want to make sure it's protected. How many people have we talked about in all of the last 10 episodes of this podcast where we've looked at a writer who pretty much all they did was this show? And they really didn't go on to do much of anything else. This was their career. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a, a huge amount of, of empathy that I have for the creators of the show here in, in seeing you know, how their sadness and their regret at not being able to be a part of, of the movie's production. All of the difficulties that come with being a self-published author, they're worth it because in the end, the product that goes out there is exactly what you wanted it to be, word for word, and you didn't have to change it for anybody. Yeah, it gives you a little perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> All things considered, what would you give as your rating? Now that we've held you off long enough on giving what you think the right rating is for this movie, what do you think is your rating for The Last Airbender? If, I mean... If I'm doing on a scale of one to ten, I think I would give it a three point five. Like I think that it's it's not a you know a twenty percent or a five percent or what was the other one like a four out of ten. That seems like too much to me. <laughs> but a nice solid three point five out of ten. You know, I appreciate the things that are good about it, but there's just so much bad that it kind of you know it can't overshadow. Um, and I just, I don't want to, you know, be one of those haters. that's like, oh, it's like a one out of 10, not even. And I'm like, that's not, no, that's not yeah. accurate. Yeah. And the funny thing is that my rating for it is exactly the same. I would give it a 3.5 out of 10. And I think it's really funny. I think it's a funny commentary on the entire premise of this podcast that you and I would kind of arrive at the exact same point and same opinion, but I think with totally different takes. You were a big fan of the show, came in, saw the movie, tried to justify to yourself that it was good, and later you had to admit to yourself it wasn't great, but you've taken some of the great things that are in the movie as takeaways that you can still enjoy about it, that the years and anything hasn't taken away from you. I, on the other hand, never saw the series before this so i had no preconceived notion about what this movie was going to be like made one run of the first season and then watched the the movie immediately afterward also with no preconceived notion what the movie was like i had no idea i didn't know anything more i knew i knew less about the movie than i do about did about the series right so yeah no it's it's kind of the same thing i feel like i have a a real clear path uh, in my viewing experience of not really having much of a bias because I'm not some longtime super fan of the show that feels directly offended at what they did in the movie. Do some parts of the movie, are they so bad they offend me? Yeah. <laughs> but not because not because that I feel you know, attacked personally because I'm, I'm a fan and, and I was a childhood fan of the series and they're ruining my childhood. Right. Yeah. No, it was it was uh, quite an experience. It was quite an experience, that's for sure. It was a a cinematic life event. And, and now it's over, and we can move on to the best season of the show. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, because as you said, uh, you know, it really makes you appreciate the series. And uh, after this this little side detour here, the stop at a really crummy hotel that we call the last airbender, three point five out of ten. Yelp. Um, yeah, we're back on the road again, and uh, I can't wait now to pick up in uh, in season two. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.